Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. But it's about time that they started listening to the people. There's people power now. We will not be silenced. Always rock. We're going to be in their face all the time. Too many of our people are dying. Our youths are always getting picked up over nothing because they're black. We are the people. We are the voice. And we are just still no answers, still no conviction, and still no justice. As the powerful chants of the Black Lives Matter protests appear to fade to a distant echo, the call to action is as loud as ever. While human rights lawyers, advocates and bureaucrats work behind the scenes to bring about reforms at a government level, the push to change public opinion is being led by a passionate youth. Stand up for the many that have been killed and massacred The baton has been passed on by elders. You young people, you keep our campfires burning forever. And there's even endorsement from a familiar voice. Part of what's made me so hopeful is the fact that so many young people have been galvanized and activated and motivated and mobilized. I'm Narelda Jacobs, a Wajak Noongar woman from Western Australia. And now I found myself in the thick of it in Sydney. Sometimes it's really hard, but I'm inspired every day by the energy and creativity of our young people. And I want to know what drives them. I knew that there would be some way that what we had done and what we had achieved would be skewed to be negative. My name is Marley Silva. I am 24 years old and a very proud Gamilaroi and Dungadi girl. My family come from Moree and Kempsey, which are both towns in more northern parts of New South Wales than where I live now. I was born and raised and still live on Darawal country south of Sydney. I've had to oppress my feelings because in society I cannot be the angry black man. My name is Luke Kyrie Richardson. I'm a proud Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander man. My bloodline runs through many countries here in Australia. On my father's side, I'm a Kukuyalanji Jabakai man from far north Queensland on the mainland. His mother is also from the Torres Straits um, from Mare Island, part of the Sumset clan. My mother's side, I'm a proud uh, Bachelor Fraser Island man, but also a Mananjali man from Bow Desert, Tweed Heads, Fingal area down, down southeast Queensland way as well. We can't go back to normal life because normal life isn't working anymore. Yamba Nunukalaja, Nanyukwel Ezra Jacobs, Nyam Majak Nunga Maman, Nanyak Nija, Wajak Nunga Buja, Nankurukura Mort Buja, Nanyang Buja, Nungan Jingan Anija Buja, Kulini Jina, Kura Kura, Demanga Manga. My name is Ezra Jacobs. I'm 30 years old. I'm a Wajak Noongar man from Perth or Wajak country, Bulu as we know it. 
Growing up here was pretty challenging at times. It's a part of the world that doesn't have a massive Aboriginal population and it meant that both my sister and I were the only Aboriginal people that most of our peers knew growing up and at school we were the only Koori kids there and it meant that there was a lot of pressure on us from a very early age to, one, be able to articulate our identity really early, constantly justifying why, you know, if we really were blackfellas, why our skin was lighter coloured. And, and there's a lot of pressure that comes with that to represent, you know, all of your people. There was a group of us in primary school that would, I guess, stand up when it was the NAIDOC week. And it, thinking about it now, it seemed a bit tokenistic. <laughs> What I do for a living, this one's a tough one for me. I've juggled with this ever since I left a full-time job a few years back. I think the Western way, I'm a freelance artist, but to resort back to cultural ways, I'm a storyteller. My day job is all about the reconciliation or, or the acknowledgement and um, recognition of Wajamup, which is Rottnest Island, and its history of Aboriginal incarceration. So. The island, for those that don't know, was used to incarcerate Aboriginal men and boys from across Western Australia during the first contact periods and the colonisation of WA, but um, you know that lasted right up till 1931. And that history is very traumatic for Aboriginal people. You know, We're talking about the equivalence of the kings and the princes of the Aboriginal communities across the state being removed and, and incarcerated and segregated on the island as a mechanism to allow colonisation to spread across the state. So it was about the control and the resistance of Aboriginal people. And, and a lot of the men and boys lost their lives on the island. It's approximately 370 to 400 of the prisoners passed away while incarcerated on the island. So those numbers actually mean that Wadjamup Rottenness Island holds the record for the, the most number of Aboriginal deaths in custody anywhere in Australia. I have always worked for our people, always worked in the space with community used to work in the non-profit sector for an education charity where I was working with Aboriginal high school kids to help them stay at school. And more recently, in the last two years, I founded with my sister Keely Titters for Titters, which is a movement that started as a humble Instagram page where we just share stories of amazing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander women and girls, smashing stereotypes and showing the next generation that they can achieve anything. As we watch everything unfold in America... I heard a lot of people say, lucky we live in Australia. But I didn't think that, and I don't think any Indigenous person thought that. But for everybody else, it must have felt like it sent a shockwave, like a tidal wave crashing on our shores. It's definitely been confronting and brought up a lot of um, thoughts and feelings that I think you know we carry around with us sort of every day as Aboriginal people in Australia. Yeah, it's been quite an interesting year. Things have definitely blown up, and these issues have come to the, to the surface in a way that they haven't before. Oh yeah, I feel like we're kind of, as Aboriginal people, equipped to be super adaptable to all this sort of stuff because that's what we've been doing for a couple of hundred years now. But it's it's definitely, no one could have anticipated this and it's um, been challenging at times. It's a bit tough in this time, like, not going to lie, I'm, I'm feeling a bit down. So um, I, I do acknowledge all the positive and uh, messages that I receive, but uh, in a system when something, it's such, the tension is there for us worldwide yeah it's a bit hard to not feel down in these times you were right in the middle of the big protests what did that feel like it was almost like a an out-of-body experience actually because looking around and it was such an emotional kind of feeling across the entire crowd but it was it was almost I felt 
even though it was completely devastating what we were there to talk about and, and there was so much, you know, emotion and seeing aunties cry about their, you know, nieces and nephews who, who died in custody and things like that, there was all, also this kind of sense of unity and peace and, yeah, just this coming together that, again, I, I've genuinely never seen before. And to me, I've been to my fair share of protests in my life and um, it was something else. And I just hope it's it's that point that we look back on as the turning point. Absolutely. And that was that's what I saw at the protest. You know, we saw communities to acknowledge the African-American, African communities coming in and joining and uniting. I saw other pockets of minorities joining those huge protests, but then a large majority of non-Indigenous, non-people of colour marching with us. And that's what we need to do, you know. it's That was the first time I ever mentally prepared myself that I was going to get arrested because it was deemed illegal before I even got there, that, that protest, or unauthorised. So to see that many people turn out when that protest was deemed unauthorised and illegal gave me a sense of hope. And yeah, there was a little bit of a scuffle at Central Station and that's a whole other kettle of fish. But I, I knew that there would be some way that what we had done and what we had achieved would be skewed to be negative. And honestly, it's the first time since being out of the like really strict lockdown isolation where I've seen so many masks. And the only people who didn't have masks on were the police officers monitoring. That says enough in itself to me. It's a really interesting time to be alive and have a voice, isn't it? I think that it just shows, unfortunately, a lot of the people in power are scared of Aboriginal voices having space and power for the first time in this way. For me, it's just sort of felt like one thing after the other and um, the pandemic and then the deaths in custody, George Floyd and, you know, the recent mining blast in a Pilbara destroying the ancient sites up there. I'm sort of reeling. You don't have a chance to kind of reorientate yourself or, or you know, really put things in, into perspective and I'm sort of thinking, what's next? But, you know, it's, it's important and, and it's important that these things are coming to the surface and they need to be dealt with and we can't go back to a situation where those things are only given attention at certain times of the year and then we just go back to normal life because normal life, you know, isn't working anymore, unfortunately. People who have never had a voice now have the opportunity to have their voice heard and, and that is very important. We need to make the noise now. Protesters, protests and protests influence politics they hear the people so they can make the changes up the top but if we need to bring the problems to light here on the ground the grassroots do you think we have the best chance now because of the black lives matter movement to improve incarceration rates to reform justice to change the constitution all the things that we've been fighting for I've never seen anything like this, ever. I've asked my father and he said the same thing. He's never seen so many people mobilised with the same kind of level of outrage and energy to do something. We've kind of been moving towards this tipping point for a long time because Indigenous voices are rising in so many different ways. As well as that, there is a massive community of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who are telling their own stories in their own words through social media. So all of those ingredients coming together has meant that people are being challenged to think about this for the first time. No one can go on to their Instagram or Facebook or whatever as they do every single day and avoid this topic of conversation. As much as it's been a devastating thing to watch and so emotional and incredibly exhausting as an Aboriginal woman to go through this period over the last couple of weeks, I have never felt like it has been this realistic to think that we are on the the cusp of the change we've been fighting for for generations. 
Yeah, I think with every sort of movement and every sort of issue that comes to the surface, getting us closer to that point, I don't know if if we're there just yet. I think we've still got a lot of work to do because to implement the changes that are called for in the Uluru Statement, you know, voice, treaty and truth, and having a, a representative Aboriginal voice that's enshrined in the constitution, that requires referendum and we need a majority of Australia to vote for that. And I don't know that the majority of Australia really understands it's going to be a good thing for all Australians. These changes that we're calling for, yes, they're about improving the situation for Aboriginal people in Australia, but we're going to be setting a standard for how minority groups and First Peoples should be treated and and should be respected as sovereign nations with that unique connection to place. Ezra, you've been on the receiving end of how minorities are treated recently. The short end of it was I, I spent a night in the Perth lockup actually after accidentally missing my court appearance. And, you know, that's a very silly thing to do. And I take full responsibility for that. But it was very shocking for me, actually. And it really opened my eyes to just how easy these things can happen. I was filming a friend of mine being arrested by the police. And the arrest was, there was quite a lot of physical, you know, altercation going on in the arrest. The, the police were being quite heavy handed with it. I realised I'd missed the court date and I couldn't believe I did it and raced down to the local police station. I thought if I go in there and just explain to them what's happened, an officer from the back asked me to come through and had a pair of handcuffs with him. And I, I said, oh, geez, that was sort of took me by surprise. And I thought, what, what's going on here? And he's like, I've got to walk you through the office and there's police officers here. So we've got to have the handcuffs on. It's a safety precaution. And then I went into the back room where they start processing me and they just started asking me to take my things off. And I wasn't really sure what was going on. I thought I'd come in to apologise. I'd literally handed myself in for not appearing in court. And I lived 400 metres down the road from the police station. And, you know, I was thinking I was going home. But it turns out that I was being taken to the Perth Watch House to, to spend a night in there before my court appearance the next morning. The whole process was really, you're a criminal as soon as you step through the door and then they treat you like one. And I understand that it's for safety purposes. But when you treat people like criminals, just like when you treat people like children, they'll act like children or they'll act like criminals. I think every time we speak out and say something, whether it's on social media, whether it's on TV, in the newspaper, it's always going to be cut down. And we always feel the pain when it's cut down. Yeah, I think the prime example of that is what we saw happen to Adam Goods and more recently what we've seen happen to Latrell Mitchell in the NRL. They're the really high profile versions of the sort of stuff that happens to every one of us every single day. The kinds of comments that they faced, the criticism they faced for not just being successful Aboriginal people, but being successful Aboriginal people who step out from under the expectations of the rest of Australia. It is difficult. It's a challenge. You're already trying to overcome all these barriers that stand in your way simply for being born Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. And then once you get that spotlight, there's an expectation. And the second that you challenge that or if you ask for too much, you get attacked. It breaks my heart. I've seen it happen to so many different people, people who are very close to me as well. And in (laughs) my own way, I've had to face pretty horrific racist DMs in my Instagram as well. But, you know, I have a resilience against it is that I've been copying it my whole life. I've always been told I'm not black enough or if I am too black for some people, then you get all those sorts of, yeah, just awful racist stereotypes. I've had to oppress my feelings because in society I cannot be the angry black man because racism in this country is so casual that any pushback is seen as aggressive. It's tough. It's absolutely tough, you know, and I guess this idea of being this big, black, strong, staunch man, artist, whatever people view me as, I have a soft side and it's it's tough. It is really absolutely, we're exhausted. 
this fight isn't just a two-week fight due to the death of a black African-American man. This fight for us has been going on since they set foot on this land. <laughs> and the idea of intergenerational trauma, you can't measure that on a scientific scale, but we feel it day in, day out. And like, yeah, like there's not, there's not even, to be honest, there's not, no words to explain the exhaustion levels of having to fight narrow-minded people that aren't even open to discussion. They just discredit history. They discredit history. They discredit our lived experience, which is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I would never comment on what it's like to be a woman or a part of the LGBTQI+, or a rich white man living on the North Shore, or a millionaire, or any of these things, because that's not my lived experience. I don't know what it's like. So what makes these people, you know what I mean? What makes them professionals in, in my lived experience as a black man in today's society? Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. In this time of great uncertainty, Gidget Foundation Australia is here to support you. We offer specialist perinatal psychological counselling services for expectant and new parents across Australia who are experiencing perinatal depression and anxiety. We provide up to 10 sessions for free from the comfort of your home using either a video or telephone call. For more information, please visit gidgetfoundation.org.au. What do you want? Justice! When do you want it? Yeah! I'd like to know what drives you. I'm forever inspired by my people. The resilience that we show day in, day out is something that keeps on going. I struggled with a bit of depression a few years back and I think one of my coping mechanisms was thinking about all of the hardship that our ancestors and those have gone through, those are the people that have come before me and given me the life I've been able to live now. And um, I think that strength of going back and drawing on that resilience of our people through, you know, white Australian policies and constant trampling of sacred sites and is that's that's the stuff that's like you know i can get through this and that's the stuff that kind of keeps me going you know i was really lucky to be raised in a household with the stories of my grandmother and great-grandmother those were my first examples of what it meant to be an aboriginal woman and the things that they achieved in the face of adversity are what inspire me every day my great-grandmother raised 11 kids of her own and adopted a few others, you know, at a time when Aboriginal people weren't counted as citizens. My nan was in a domestic violence relationship and managed to become one of the first Aboriginal women to graduate from the University of Sydney with a Bachelor of Social Work. And just the way that both of them were these humble and incredibly proud and dedicated women who've never stopped fighting, they've shown me that way. Always was. Always will be. 
Luke, what does an equal Australia look like to you? That's a big question. <laughs> equal Australia looks like I don't have to question about going into certain places. I don't have to question what I look like or how I speak or I don't have to worry about these things that are deemed, I guess, the proper way, which in my mind I translate as the white way. I see me walking out of a shop without already having my bag ready, open. I see voices and people of colour on all platforms, not just the one or two. In Parliament, our voice is heard. Our sacred 60,000 plus year sites are as important as our 141 year old statues in Hyde Park that have police guarding these things. Equal rights. I see the over-policing of Indigenous people stopped to not judge a person by their colour and not to be scared of them to grip your purse when, a, when I <laughs> Balaluk walk past them I, <laughs> yeah I see the change in the date I see understanding and I see empathy I think a lot of our problems aren't met with empathy they're not trying to feel our pain they're just discrediting it straight away and I see that not for my generation, unfortunately. I see it for those that are coming after us because I'm in this fight for what seems like the long run. It's so hard to kind of look too far into the future. And I think that this is a never-ending journey. I think the fact is we as a nation are constantly changing and evolving and there are things, you know, external elements that are changing our way of life all the time. So we'll always have to alter and get better and try harder to have a truly united and equal society. Ultimately, what we want is equal opportunity and equal representation on a federal leadership level and having those major issues that still impact us every single day addressed. In the more immediate future, I'm hoping that the same numbers that turned out for these protests do so on January 26 next year. Hopefully once there is this more universal desire to see Aboriginal people feel included and part of the conversation, then all the other stuff will kind of follow. Our leaders need to listen to the people and hear what they're saying and make the changes that they have the power to do. And so it's from a coming together of the bottom up and the top down approach that will really galvanise these things for us into the future. Do you ever ask yourself, what more can I do? Oh, I've been asking myself this since the protest, you know, and since Scotty from marketing said what he said, the absolute whitewashing of history, no matter how you put it, there were slaves in this country. And to go from the absolute amazing support we had here at the protest in Sydney to be able to educate people on my little platform that I have for the leader of a free world Australia... <laughs> so-called Australia to go on to national radio and say what he says on the platform that he is given, I feel insignificant. And that's the moments where it's really disheartening. You can make another template of Cook statue, another brass statue. You can pop them up willy-nilly anywhere. You can't replace the sacred sites that was bombed by Rio Tinto at the start of Reconciliation Week that has all that sacred history there. And the lady, whoever wrote that news article saying that we need to respect their culture, you get respect when you give respect and you've absolutely trashed this culture. They've trampled all over it and they want respect. They're only getting a really small taste of the disrespect that has been put on our people by their ancestors and those that came before them. What can we do? What would you recommend people do, Ezra? Be active. Be as active as you can in, in whatever way you feel comfortable. And But I also challenge people to, you know, push their limits of comfortability because we really need to start making our voices heard and, and our opinions heard. Let's do something about it. Go to the protest. 
if you're more comfortable writing a letter to your local member or to the police, do whatever you can, but do something. We can't just sit back and be complacent anymore. Turn up. Turn up every aspect that you can. Someone asked me the other day, it's like, are you hopeful after the turnout you saw in Sydney? And I was like, I hold on to hope. It's the hope and it's the resilience of my people that keep me hopeful. Eliza, yeah, we need you. Three, what are we? 3.3% at the moment. <laughs> Our culture is so giving. Our culture is based off respect as well. And it's just come along and, and see that, witness it for yourself. Be a part of it and realize that these protests aren't, these aren't, they aren't violent. We're not coming here to be violent. We're not here to cause trouble. We're here to be heard. And that's the main thing. We are a very peaceful people. We only make up 3% of the population and we need those people who are kind of fence-sitters to come on our side. Well, something that has given us a lot of hope and encouragement is seeing people turn out to the protests who don't usually protest. Because as you've said, we're just 3% of the population and we need the other 97% to turn up. How do we change hearts and minds, Marley? That That is hard. It's hard because I kind of have learnt over time that the way that the Australian population is kind of set out in their relationship to us is the sort of the 10% that's already on our side and very much a part of this journey. The 10% on completely the other opposite of the scale who are completely opposed to us, who you'll never, ever change. And then there's that 80% in the middle who are fence sitters. I've had so many people ask me, like, what should I be reading or what should I be listening to or who should I be following to get this sort of information? And being able to go, hey, like, you've only just become interested in this, but our mob have been writing about this and researching about this sort of stuff for years and years and years. Now you can go and and do it and absorb that. That's really exciting. The change is coming from the ground and the ground is made up, you know, the groundswell of support is made up of people of all different shapes and sizes and colours and age groups and from different cultural backgrounds as well. And, and on the ground, we're really starting to come together. Unfortunately, we are not seeing our political leaders in this country driving change from the top. I mean, whatever happened to real political leadership, whatever happened to the Nelson Mandela's of the world, when you don't have those sorts of leaders in your society and in your community, then you have no option. The people have to make it happen and that's what we're seeing at the moment. You'll get left behind if you don't join this new wave of hunger and desire to see the better future that we all want. And we'll all be benefited by it. I think that's something that's really important. We all want to be part of it and we all want something better for everyone. Gosh, I've really been inspired by Marley, Luke and Ezra. There's so much to unpack in what they've had to say. Mostly it's filled me with hope and made me excited about the journey we're all on. Of course, so much has been achieved over the decades, but still our incarceration rates are so high. Infant mortality, life expectancy, instances of family and domestic violence, all still at unacceptable levels. Experts agree what's ultimately to blame is colonisation for generations. Racism and discrimination. It's made people angry and powerless. It's stripped people of their self-worth and confidence. To break this intergenerational trauma will surely have to take something radical. Well, these times are radical. Radical enough to reform systems from justice to health and education into the corporate world. Constitutional recognition. Radical enough to change the date. Ensure diversity on our screens. Reflect our true history in monuments. And down to the small stuff like seeing Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander flags flying alongside the Australian flag by starting meetings and classes with a welcome or acknowledgement of country. 
learning language. All of these things, however subtle, create equality, instill pride, make people happy. I know it sounds idealistic, but happy people live content, fulfilled lives. Don't we all deserve a life free from racism? Well, it's made me feel really happy to talk to Marley, Luke and Ezra. They are young champions of change, but we all have our part to play. As Luke says, Don't be scared to be on the right side of history. This episode was produced and edited by Ali Aitken. This has been a 10 News First podcast for 10 Speaks. I'm Neralda Jacobs. We'll see you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.